Inspired Execution is a podcast where tech leaders from global enterprises discuss their journey to scaling multi-billion dollar businesses. Chuck Kapoor is chairman and CEO of Datastax, with more than 20 years of experience working with global enterprises. Join us to hear about the experiences and mentors that played a role in their growth. Kim Stevenson, SVP and General Manager of NetApp, has a diverse experience spanning finance, services, and marketing, holding COO and CIO leadership roles at Intel, IBM, EDS, and Hewlett-Packard Enterprise. She has also served on numerous boards of directors for leading tech innovators. In this episode, Kim talks about her wild ride in technology and the importance of moving away from a transactional society to a relationship-building world. You'll even hear a very inspiring story of Rose Knox and her journey of overcoming societal norms through a time of resistance. Hi, Kim. How's it going? Great, Chet. How are you doing today? Doing great. Super excited to have you here to talk about you and your journey to where you are now. So I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation. Well, I've been around a long time, Chet. We might not be able to cover the entire journey. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, you're, you're getting close to hitting your one year at NetApp and have spent many years in technology, right? Lenovo, Intel, IBM, others. Um, tell us a, a little bit about your journey and, you know, how you got here. Yeah, you know, so one, I don't think you could have predicted how I got here, right? Um, but I have had the the real pleasure of living through almost every major technology shift that matters. You know, um, the first phone I had was a bag phone in my car, right? Google didn't exist when I started. Um, You know, and I've seen the careers invented and created. Um, I was a CIO for a time, and when I started, the CIO career didn't even exist. Um, But I've seen companies die very quickly because they miss shifts and as well as companies reinvent completely new industry sectors that today we can't even imagine living without, right? So it's been a wild ride and I've learned a few things that I think really help me and and likely would help others. And I would say the, the first is that I've had a very wide set of different experiences and what those each experience gives you is it helps you build a perspective and to see different ways to overcome obstacles because we all have obstacles to overcome along the way. So I did, I started my career in accounting. Then I went through financial planning and pricing and a marketing job and a corporate strategy job and an IT service delivery job and product development, et cetera. So I had this wide set of functional uh, diverse experiences. And I learned something valuable in each of them. But I think the key is that you could get your diverse experiences through different functions like I did or different companies or different industry sectors. The important part is building that perspective that allows you to see problems through lenses that maybe others don't see. And that will create a wedge that you can leverage to accelerate your own career, your own company, whatever the case may be. The other day I was uh, having a conversation with a few folks and I said, you know, the one thing that I would love to do is to get everybody in the company to understand a P&L. 
right? And that's essentially what you're saying in a different way or a different way to put it is make sure you look at the elephant holistically, not just the part that you are touching, right? And getting a good view on it. And having a holistic experience makes all the difference because you understand how you fit and you're motivated to drive the whole. Yeah. Is that yeah, a fair you know, way to put it? Yes, it's absolutely right. And I'll tell you, I I spent three years in accounting. I did not like it. I knew it wasn't for me, but I use my understanding of accounting principles and the cash flow and the, the income statement every single day in this job. So it matters. It does. It does make a difference. Um, what was hard? The hardest thing is, I'll say I have, over the course of my career, I'll have a lot of misinterpretations of my intention. So I'll have a good intention and it just won't come across as a good intention. And catching those is really, really hard because most people um, will just take that and run with it. And, and um, you know, so you have to find ways to make sure that you're interpreted correctly, that it's not about what you say, but what people hear. Um, and then if they don't hear exactly what you intended, circling back and whether you're, you're, you need to apologize or clarify or reset the uh, situation, it's really important. But it's not easy. And for me, I've found having other people like give me signals about, are you sure you really meant that, is important. Because, because you're trying to drive towards a, a clear sense of purpose in a single unified direction and these misinterpretations can get, you know, really muddy up the water. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, the well, the phrase that a lot of people use is trust and validate. I think about it a little differently, which is, you know, communicate, align or align, communicate, but validate the alignment as well, which is essentially what you're saying, right? Yes, yes. What was easy? I was fortunate, I think, um, in that. I started my career with IBM, and I happened to be working on a semiconductor project that was about, this sounds silly nowadays, but it was going to combine faxing, scanning, and printing into a single chip. And wow. that was like amazing, <laughs> like that you could that could happen, right? And I, I sort of knew then that um, I would stay in technology. You know, I just could see like the world changing, societies changing, you know, economies changing because of technology. And, um, and so when you have passion for something like that, it really is easy um, to, as I get up every day, come in excited and like, like, what can we do to change the world today? And um, so to me, it, it's, it's always been centered around the technology and what the technology can do for the world. It always brings a smile, doesn't it? I mean, you can always feel like, you know, you're a kid in a candy shop, right? I mean, it's like, oh, my God, this is so cool. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, maybe it's hard to say, uh, you got to say no sometimes, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure, for sure. But, yeah. I wanted to ask you a follow-up question on the diversity of experience. Um, not many people make the transition from being a CIO where you're consuming technology. Um you know, and, and going from there to actually being a product leader where you're creating technology. And it seems like you've done it a couple of times. I would think that there are many, many people in IT 
that inspired to do that. Any words of advice for them? and Or how did you go back and forth between the two? Yeah, um, it, it is, a, I think, a unusual transition, but probably one that's more important going forward. I, I looked at it this way from when I was consuming the technology. I used to tell the product um, developers that I worked with, I said, look, I'm here to exploit your technology. So, uh, but help me understand you know, how to do that. And I'll help you understand the use cases and the business problems that we're trying to solve. And by the way, I'm only willing to pay for something that solves a business problem that we have. And, um, and that ended up being a good discussion, but having that great partnership and really trying to live in the other person's shoes um, when doing that. And so, then when I came to the product side, right, I really tried to not lose my voice of the customer. And I try to think through the things I'm willing to invest in, the things that we're willing to prioritize or maybe, you know, bump out of a release um, from a, would a customer pay for it? What business problem does this solve from a customer? And um, so I would say I'm much less technical than a typical product manager, but much more customer insightful than a typical product management person. And um, and finding your own unique value and then surrounding yourself with a team of people that complement that versus people that are just like you has worked for me. It's like it's focused on the use case, right? That's that mm-hmm. on either side, if you focus on the problems you're trying to solve. And and just maniacally focus on that. It should work. It should. It should. People should be able to make the transition on both sides. Yeah, that that's right. That's right. And to your point earlier, Chet, understanding the financial side of the equation helps you really quantify the value of the use case that you're going after. So it's been close to a year uh, you've been at NetApps and you're leading their largest business unit, the foundational data services business unit. And um, how's it been? I mean, it's COVID. Uh, things are different. How's it been going? It's been a year of adjustments. I think that's probably <laughs> true for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> the good part is that I think um, as people, we've grown much more tolerant of one another because we're all in this kind of difficult situation. And so whether it's a a colleague from work or a customer or a supplier, everybody's just a bit more tolerant. And I find that great to have that human spirit come out a little bit more clearly. The frustrating part, though, is that we've seemed to move into a world of transactions. We go from meeting to meeting to meeting, and, and they're all Zooms. And so it's sort of, you know, whatever the topic of the meeting is, finish that, move to the next one, finish that, move to the next one. And I feel like we're losing a bit of the relationship that it takes to actually sustain a really good team, right? And I mean good as in people feel valued. You you feel like your contribution matters in that team and you you know the direction you're going in and that it's going to make an impact. Um, and so I, I think this world of everything is a transaction is going to, you know, we're going to have to pay our dues on letting that happen too long and need to invest in 
um, some relationship building time. Uh, and I think it's, it's difficult in uh, the current work environment that we have, but hopefully we'll be able to moderate that to some degree over the next few months. It definitely seems like there was euphoria on we don't need to go to work, we can work from home. And now we're at a point where, you know, it's kind of cool to work from home, but um, it would be great to at least go back to having some interpersonal discussions beyond just, you know, Zoom, right? Yeah. And I yeah. think I think there'll be some steady state that sits in between the last three months and the 20 years before. Yes. And I think about um, particularly um, people at the beginning of their career, right? As you work your way through your career, your network is a very powerful tool in helping you um, to manage your career and to, you know, really pursue your passions. And and I think about my network, my strongest network are people that I've worked with and earned their respect as well as developed respect for them. And I can call them anytime now. And, you know, after 35 years of working, I have quite an extensive network. And I worry that the younger generation won't have that same type of network. And I think that that can be more limiting. And so I I do think that building out your network in a way that is effective is something that you can't lose sight of given the work environment that we find ourselves in at the moment. Inclusion and diversity is something I spend a lot of time thinking about. You and I have talked about that before, uh, and you definitely have a a perspective uh, on this from what you did at Intel and at other places as well. Um, what do you think we could be doing differently? One of the things that I I think is probably the biggest change agent, if you will, is to really make sure that you're in an environment that's a level playing field for everyone. And if it's not, then who's going to make the changes that um, need to happen? And And I'll give you some examples that I think individuals, every individual can make and then sort of, you know, company. Company example would simply be um, have a diverse slate of candidates and a diverse set of interviewers if you're hiring, right? That's a company. Company can put a policy in place. But as an individual, right, if you're not being heard in meetings, which which is a frequent complaint of women, right, that that we're not heard in meetings. And so I, I simply say, okay, well, how am I going to be heard, right? One, I'm going to sit right at the center of the table or in the center of the Zoom room, right? I'll use the tools to my advantage. And then I typically have a colleague in the room reinforce what I say if, if I'm constantly overheard or ask for my input. And I could say simply to you, hey, Chet, we haven't heard from you. What do you think about that topic? And all of a sudden, then people are willing to listen to chat, right? Because you were invited into the conversation. And so I think there are things like that, that we don't need the system to change in as much as we need people to change while we're changing some of the bigger systemic issues that face us, you know, in the workplace, but also broadly in the, in society too. I think that is a... Awesome idea. So it's almost like you have somebody in the meeting that's not you. That is the uh, 
inclusion person, if I may, and you and they are responsible for drawing people out, right? Because as you and I have talked about, it's you know, different people. Some people think on their feet, some people don't, but everybody's opinion matters. That's a that's a great idea. I think uh, I hope a lot of people start implementing that because I think single handedly that should change the way meetings happen. Great idea. <laughs> uh, any other any other tips and tricks like that that have worked for you or things that have not worked? So what typically doesn't work is getting frustrated or angry and displaying your anger, right? And so we can we all go through that, right? That that there are times when we're frustrated. And I find that it's best if I take a deep breath, try to think about why would they be acting that way, and then confront it, right? Um, and the deep breath really matters. Otherwise, you do things that maybe you regret later. <laughs> 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 so, uh, you know... Uh, Write it down before you say it, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but it's natural to be frustrated when you're trying to drive change. Um, you know, frustration is a natural um, feeling. It's just a matter of using that in a constructive manner. Who inspires you? I am going to say somebody that you probably never heard of. Um, and her name is Rose Knox. And Rose Knox was the president of the International Grocers Association for nearly 60 years. Um, she was born in 1918 and, you know, uh, married young. Her husband had a business that, um, he had actually a number of businesses, but the one that was very successful was making gelatin. And then he passed away suddenly. They were in their 20s. And it was a time when women couldn't own um, a business. You couldn't have a bank account. Um, and she had a seven-year-old son that signed all of her contracts. So she inherited the business and had the seven-year-old son. And she overcame all of these issues that faced women at that time and went on to be the first president of the International Grocers Association, as well as run her own company. Knox, you can still buy Knox Gelatin in the grocery store. It was later sold to Unilever, I think. Um, but she worked until she was 94 years old. Um, she was the first person to put, uh, implement in the United States a 40-hour work week for factories. She was the first factory to changed the doors. They had a door that um, women went through, a door that men went through, and a door that um, uh, black people went through. She made one door. She locked the other two. Everybody went through the same door and met a lot of resistance. You know, she had to fire her factory manager when she locked the door because he didn't want to do it. So she fired him on the spot. Um, and I just, I'm really inspired by the story and the journey of change and overcoming you know, what was societal norms at the time to make it better for every one of her employees. So it's a great story. It is a phenomenal story. And it's, and it's you know, I, I, think, I think history has a long, 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 long list of people that don't, um, that, that we don't talk about, right? But they, you know, you don't make a hard right or a hard left, right? You actually make a bunch of turns, and it takes a lot of different folks to actually make it happen. That's that's 
awesome. And do you do you think about her often, or is it something that has that you know you, you were inspired, and it's something that you think about once a year or once every two years? So I think of her often, actually, um, because I'll say to myself, I won't say it out loud, but I'll say, "What would Rose do?" I mean, really, what would she have done in in this particular situation? And to me, it helps build my grit, right? Because things are are hard sometimes, and you need a little bit of grit to get through. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. That's that is awesome. We all have a version of Rose in our heads, right? Whether it is a role model that you know we've uh, we've read about, that we've had, and so it's always good to say, "What would that person do?" I find that to be extremely helpful. If a younger version of yourself was here, what would be the words of wisdom you would tell her? Um, I would say you own your career, nobody else. Um, And that means you need to have a plan. Now, plans are meant to be adjusted, so it doesn't have to be fixed. But but you have to work towards the long term and the long run. Um, and there's no sort of short-term uh, step that's going to overcome the work it takes over the long haul. That is awesome. Kim, this has been absolutely phenomenal to hear you talk about your journey, to hear you talk about how you've overcome and all the diverse set of experiences and your thoughts on, on having the inclusion coach or inclusion person in the meeting to all the way to talking about Rose. Uh, it has been absolutely awesome. We really, really appreciate you joining us for this podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Chet. I really enjoyed it. Find your own unique value and surround yourself with a team of people that complement versus people that are just like you is a great takeaway from this episode. Kim also reminds us that relationship building and inclusion is vital to sustaining a really good team, where everyone feels valued, appreciated, and makes an impact. Who will you invite to the conversation? Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Inspired Execution Podcast, hosted by Chairman and CEO of Datastax, Chet Kapoor. We have many more guests and phenomenal stories to come, so stay tuned. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the series to be notified when a new conversation is released. And feel free to drop us any questions or feedback at inspiredexecution at datastacks.com.